This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. We're going to have not only an interesting guy, a guy that's been all around the field of attention deficit disorder and executive function for years, but a guy who is entertaining as well. He's made a mark with his life on educating the public about many of the things we really need to know about the evolution and the understanding of neuroscience regarding executive function. Rick Green, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Delighted to be here, Chuck. It's uh, always fun to talk with you, and uh, it's always interesting to talk about ADHD, for sure. It is. Rick and I are old friends. We've uh, been to some conferences together, and I really appreciate the opportunity of talking to him. And and you're going to find this an interesting conversation. I don't know where it's going to go, and I know Rick doesn't either, but we're going to have fun (laughs) with it. I'll tell you that right now. So let me do a brief introduction in just a second. I'm going to mention first a couple words from our sponsors. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory. They are international leaders in molecular testing for mind science details. With over 3 million studies, they provide deep experience with the usefulness of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges, which, by the way, all have something to do with ADHD. They, their innovative insights improve treatment priorities through a global service with a molecular focus. Connect your provider with a PDF on how and why these tests work for treatment failure at dhalab.com forward slash core, dhalab.com forward slash core. Stay tuned for more details. And Core Brain Journal is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide fresh options to address the complexity of child and adolescent treatment failure, we've seen it repeatedly, from behavior imbalances to substance abuse, both nationally and internationally. Most interesting is their deep focus on data-driven biomedical advances that measure specifics on what to do with those treatment failures, even after multiple hospitalizations or extensive outpatient work. They do a deep dive. Review their innovative programs and comprehensive work at barryrobinson.org forward slash core. That's B-A-R-R-Y robinson.org forward slash core. More information coming later in the program. Now, let me introduce Rick Green to you. We're going to have some fun with this. He is the creator of the popular website, totallyadd.com, plus two groundbreaking documentaries on adult ADHD. One of them's ADD and Loving It, and ADD and Mastering. ADD and Loving It, which became a runaway hit on PBS, has earned an international critical acclaim, a New York Festival's award for best medical documentary, and kudos from experts, doctors, and adults with ADHD worldwide. The Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH Foundation, gave Rick their Celebrity Transforming Lives Award, asserting that in one hour, in a one-hour program, Rick has uh, transformed how we actually view this disorder. And it really did. Fans have sent thousands of emails thanking Rick for bringing humor and humanity to adults struggling with ADHD attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Since then, Rick has produced scores of videos for totallyadd.com, 
on every single aspect of this neurodevelopmental disorder, featuring 75 of the world's best ADHD experts. These include videos on the power of a holistic approach to ADHD and a video about the role of a certified coach who understands ADHD, something Rick knows firsthand. Coaching is a very valuable part of recovery with ADHD. He's passionate about being an advocate for both adults with ADHD and has spoken to a wide range of audiences, hosted webinars, been a guest on podcasts and television shows. He is an experienced guy. His award-winning coast-to-coast internationally acclaimed mental disorder. <laughs> that was my one-man show. Know, my award-winning. Yeah, broke me up, Rick. I was trying. You know, I read that earlier. I was like, "Oh gosh, this is wild." Yeah. That, so that was the one-man show I did, telling basically the story of growing up undiagnosed, getting diagnosed after my son was diagnosed, and I was 47 at the time, and everything starting to fall into place. And um, anyone who's been diagnosed, any adult, especially after a certain age, it's transformational. It can't be anything less than, I think. It depends what you do with it, of course, with that information. And many people are so, unfortunately, so overwhelmed, they kind of, well, what am I going to do at my age? And my answer to that is, oh, there's plenty you can do at that at any age. But it was just, it was so interesting. And it was such a lightning bolt. And for me, this aha moment, and they just kept falling one after another. Aha, this is why I, this is why, this is why that explains. No wonder I've never written a screenplay. And yet I've written 700 episodes of skit comedy for radio and television. A screenplay takes six months. I'm not going to stick with something like that. I can write four scenes for the Red Green Show in one day. Guess what I'm going to go do? So it was really um, one of the videos we have on the site is called Embracing the Diagnosis. And I really did embrace it. But what happened and the reason I ended up, you know, doing all of this work is that there was a huge amount of resistance. Now, this was back in the year 2001, I guess. So adult ADHD was still not on many people's radar. ADHD was still, and still today, is burdened by all kinds of, back then it was just uh, poor parenting, and now it's the internet and so on. And certainly there are things that can contribute to that. But I, I was so shocked at people's dismissal in the face of what I was experiencing, you know, how different life was, how much better things got. So there was kind of a reaction. One of the hallmarks of people with ADHD is overly sensitive and sensitive to rejection and criticism. We don't necessarily handle it well. And I didn't, but I turned it around and I used it. That was, I'm going to show you. And that led to getting it on television. And then PBS picked it up and ran with it. And the rest is history. The website, we're going to build a website with some of the footage left over from the documentary because we had 26 hours of footage for a less than one hour documentary. And uh, we ended up putting a bunch of that up. And then I started going to ADHD conferences to speak and I interviewed more experts. There's many people I'd love to interview that I haven't, you included. And, uh, you know, there's so many other people that we just haven't connected with at events and so on. Anyway, it took off. PBS then wanted a sequel. We were a hit, their darling, for many years. And it's still running just this year. A station, I think, in New York or New Hampshire, one of the stations, PBS station, finally picked it up for the first time. And the thing with PBS stations is they're, it's a network, but it's kind of a loose affiliation. Mm-hmm. So there are people who've seen it quite regularly on their local PBS station, and there are still stations that have never run it. And often because 
unfortunately, I think it's partly because somebody at the station goes, oh, that's not real. Yeah. You know, that's just, oh, that's, we're not, you know, or that's controversial or they're just drugging kids or whatever it is. So it's been an ongoing crusade, but it's been really fun. And as I say in the talks that I give, it's at the beginning, I often say who's excited and who's nervous and who was dragged here by their spouse on the understanding if you don't come to tonight, there will be no nookie for a year. And uh, I said, you have my permission to leave if you're here under duress, but I got to warn you, this is really interesting. It is interesting stuff because it's it's kind of an existential conversation about who you are, where you begin and the disorder ends. And I remember asking one doctor, it might have been uh, Tony Rothstein at University of Pennsylvania. And I said, after the camera had was off, I said, this, it's like, how much of me is free will and how much of anyone is free will? And he said, yeah, that's the question. You know, it's people will say I'm sports minded. Well, what does that mean? It means you're getting chemical payoffs for certain things. I'm math oriented. I'm, I love language. I, whatever it is, these aren't just like choices. They're wiring inside you that you mm -hmm. do well. And there's things I can do really well. Being funny comes naturally to me. And, uh, Although I'm being kind of dry now. But. Not at all. Not at all. I think, you're, I think you're really making some excellent points because the shock for me coming into it, I mean, I was trained originally in psychoanalysis. I spent uh, seven additional years and a lot of thousands of dollars getting supervised and learning psychoanalysis and finally graduated from, from it, had my own personal analysis. And, and uh, you know, it was a very interesting thing to come out and then enter the land of psychopharmacology because that was in the 70s. Right, And somewhere in there is when psychopharmacology took off. And I was going along doing the kind of standard thing uh, and working with individuals and realized I didn't know anything about cognition. And the light bulb went on somewhere. It was all the way in the 90s when it hit me that, oh my gosh, I'm missing at least 50% of human brain functioning. Because if I'm only dealing with affect and if I'm only dealing with labels, and we're not dealing with cognition. And yeah. it is so relevant to cognition. I mean, how could I be missing 50% with all these trainings that I've had? And so that's when, you know, started thinking more deeply about it. Well, I was invited to be part of, by the Ontario Brain Institute. They have a, I think it's 25 centers of excellence across the province of Ontario doing research on all of the neurodevelopmental disorders. It's called the Province of Ontario Neurodevelopmental uh, Network, POND. Mm -hmm. And so we're on the patient advisory committee of that and helping them sort of clarify what questions they want to be asked and so on. And I remember being at a conference where politicians were coming to talk and find out about the funding and so on. And one of the top genetic researchers said that if we knew then what we know now, the labels that we would apply, and he used the term disease, the disease, the labels we would have for the diseases, mental health diseases, would be completely different. Now, ADHD is not a disease. It's most of us come into the world hardwired this way. Depression, you can fall into. I love, I think it's uh, in one of our videos, Dr. Ari Talkman says, here's the difference between most things and ADHD. What's wrong with Chuck? Chuck's not himself. Yeah, Chuck's really not, he's not himself. What's the matter with Chuck? That's not Chuck. That's an illness. There's something wrong. Yeah. ADHD is What's with that guy, Chuck? Well, that's, yeah, he's like that. That's, he's always like that. He was like that as a kid, right? So it's that distinction. So it's this ongoing, what I like about it is even this far into it, it's been an ongoing and it remains an ongoing process. And 
for me in the last so last three years i've gone in and out of a bout of depression which was really interesting because you just don't recognize it when you're in it but i also started to see asperger's in myself I have a degree in physics. I can be very logical. Humor in some ways is looking at things from a different perspective, right? A punchline is a paradigm shift. How many lawyers does it take to wallpaper a room? One, but you have to slice them really thin, right? <laughs> you know, so it's this sudden shift in perspective. And it's good because it's a lawyer joke. So seeing those elements of myself, why I've managed to succeed, why I've managed to produce, direct, act, perform in 700 episodes of television in different roles and everything from a British cartoon series I did writing for to the Red Green Show, which was huge on PBS and so on, all these different things. And that that Asperger's part of me that is organized, that is linear, that is covered the wall with the three by five cards and not in a uh, beautiful mind kind of way with the, (laughs) the strings going everywhere and connecting aliens and the CIA, but just organizing those things to keep track of you know, a TV series, one I did came up with called History Bites, and we did 110 episodes roughly. And they're all short skits and scenes, right? So there's there was a lot to track, and I was able to do that. And yet, today, I lost my phone again. Oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> I found it, but I lost my phone. <laughs> well, you know, the thing, Rick, as you're talking, I'm thinking about it. I think the thing that's really so interesting for me about it is the nuance business, because what happens with ADHD, when you actually, it's it's a conundrum because of the complexity and yep. nuance in its presentation. It isn't a 100% presentation. It's contextual and it has to do with changing reality. Reality changes and it can come up in different circumstances. Yep. So it isn't like, okay, every day this person is just lockstep 100% categorical or boom. They have different nuances and how the brain functions in those different realities is so intriguing and then what a person actually does adaptively or maladaptively regarding that change in reality, it's a nuanced thing. It's not, it's not open and shut. Well, the star of ADD and Loving It, the first program we did, is Patrick McKenna, who is a, he played Harold on the Red Green Show. And people are shocked to realize he's not a gawky 16-year-old. He's a good-looking adult, and, but he had never been diagnosed, and I had. And so I approached him with this idea of doing a show about this. And him actually getting diagnosed on camera, he was pretty sure he had it because it runs in families, it's genetic, and he'd looked at his family tree, he'd looked down into the roots and up into the fruit of his loins, as it were, and he saw the ADHD, so he was immediately on board. His wife was a little alarmed, Janice, because we're going on national television to expose what we've been trying to hide for years. But she was really bright. She realized the difference it could make for people. And of course, it, it did. It's made a huge difference for tens of thousands of people. But Patrick, in going into this, and in both of us going into this, Patrick's background is actually as an improv, an improvisational comedian. So he, like I get, I've gotten a lot of stage shows where I'm up there and I've got a script to work from. He gets up there, all right, we need a location. And somebody, if it was Second City, people shout out, uh, you know, it's a doctor's office. Great. And we need a, uh, a prop, uh, a Luger, a pistol. Okay. And they start a scene and they just, they go. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah, I know. And that, now to me, that's alarming. So the Asperger's <laughs> side of me, or if you want to call it that, that, there's part of me that just goes, I couldn't do that. I probably could, but it's training to be able to do that. They make it look easy, but they practice and practice and practice because you have to, there's a whole bunch of things you have to learn to do. Most of them letting go of what you're trying to do and really listening and being present. But anyway, he, and in, in ADD and Love Ed, he talks about that when he's on stage, he's calmer 
then if he's having to sit down and just have a conversation with uh, three people at once. And, you know, I've often said in my talks, I'll say I'm calmer up here in front of 500 people than I am if I had to sit down and read the two-page contract for me to appear in front of 500 people. So Mm -hmm. it is so, you're right, it's so situational. And that to me is a big part of um, success is figuring out how to either find the situation or create a situation where you thrive or modify the situations you're in to suit you and avoid as much as possible the situations where you're going to struggle. Yeah. Who's the top athlete in the world? Top athletes in the world, very few of them do their own accounting. They've got someone to do that. And they could sit there and go, boy, there's ordinary folks who can do this. And I'm a superstar and I've won the Super Bowl and I can't do my own tax. It's like, yeah, go practice throwing the ball more or catching the ball. So it's it's really, I think, in, in always in looking for where you want to deal with this or how you want to manage it, how you want to make it adaptive and not maladapt, all of those things. It's really, where do you want to get to? If you've got the goals, and they can be kind of general goals, or they can be specific goals. But when you've got goals, that makes the decision for you. If money is a huge issue for you, then you're probably going to want to get a really good bookkeeper and do a lot of reading about money or whatever it is. If you're if friends are more important to you, then it's, okay, what am I going to do about that? If you're, how do I develop the friendships? Money's great. That's nice, but it's not my biggest issue. I'll get a job that pays well. And I'm a big fan of people, by the way, of people who, kids who don't know what they want to do, go learn a trade. I have a friend, he's a crane operator, like a, operates one of these big cranes. And now he's actually teaching other people to operate cranes because they're desperately short of qualified people because everybody looks down on blue collar work. He's making like 130 or $150 an hour mm. operating a crane. The guys who drive the dump truck up and then drive the dump truck away are making 60 bucks an hour. So now this is, you know, in Canada, so it's, it's probably $9 in the States because of the, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, wow. Anyway, so yeah, you've got to figure out what it is that what matters to you. And that's hard because I think with ADHD, we tend to look around and, and try to fit in and try to, it's hard for us to pause and kind of go in and ask, what is it I want? What is it that makes me happy? Where were the moments when I was happiest? Where were, and to even ask friends, what do you think I should be doing? What is I'm good at? If you're a parent and you're worried about your parenting skills, ask your best friend or two or three friends, what kind of parent am I? And they'll tell you how great you are and you'll ball your eyes out. You don't know it. All you see is I forgot this. I missed out on that. I wasn't there for this or whatever it is. It's like, no. In fact, I asked my own kids. I said, I said, I feel like a bad dad. And my daughter said, you're the best dad ever. And I just, it it meant everything. So Mm -hmm. we're not good at looking inside necessarily. And that's why I like having support group. And I really uh, like the idea of either a coach or a therapist, but a therapist, if you've had childhood trauma and there's stuff to get over, if you've been abused in one way or another, then I think psychotherapy, because you're going to have ghosts no matter what you do. Even mm-hmm. if you say, I pushed past it. Well, that's one way. Maybe you suppressed it and it's just draining you. It's like oh, this ton of weight you're carrying. But for ADHD, I'm a big fan of coaching, of good coaching, certified coaching. Let's talk about that in just a minute, because I want to elaborate on that. Before we go, I just wanted to quickly say something about what you were saying, because I was juxtaposing what you were talking about, the person's view of themselves and the PBS stations that didn't carry the show. You know, and really, they're very similar in the sense that the human mind is so reflexly reptilian. It gets into reductionistic thinking. And if you can't wrap your hands around it very specifically, then there's something wrong with it. And you really want to 
move away from it or somehow negate it because it's going to be destructive because you can't wrap your hands around it. You don't have a means, a way to actually connect with it. So since we don't understand, let's not get into it. And, and that's what goes on. And that happens with an individual viewing themselves. And it happens with PBS stations thinking about what are we going to air because they don't really understand the nuance implications and the benefit of understanding it. They don't really see that. So then as a result. Yeah. And I've had both experiences where I remember being on the, um, what was before we went on the air in one city and the co-host who hosted the classical music show on the local NPR station said to me, so which pharmaceutical company sponsored your, because he'd seen the documentary, right? Or some of it. I was like, yeah, nobody, nobody sponsored this. Nobody sponsors the website. It's all independent. It's all sponsored or funded by people buying the videos. Some people make donations, whatever it is. And then the flip side of that was, and in fact, I call it in my one-man show that you mentioned at the beginning, the uh, my award-winning coast-to-coast mental disorder. I talk about the turning point is really the night in Chicago on the air when I arrived at the studio and they had... I'd come from, I think, Arizona and San Diego, where they had seven or eight people on phones, volunteers waiting. And they were trying to figure out how to set up the cameras so they could actually look like there was a, all the phones were manned or women or people. <laughs> and anyway, so I arrived in Chicago, huge studio, and they've got 30 people on phones. And my thought is, okay, this is going to be a little interesting. <laughs> and the director says to me, wonderful guy, I have two co-hosts. One stays with me and the other one sort of does the intros and extras for the every time they take a break. We hope you're enjoying the program. And if you are, why not make us a gift and so on? Yeah. And they said, we'll, we'll, the first break will be five minutes long. Nobody calls on that first break. The second break will be five to seven minutes long. It's the third break. That's where we'll go the full 20 minutes and so on and so on. And, and okay, got it. So there's an hour and a half and only 57 minutes of that is the program or whatever it is. And the rest is pledge breaks. So that first break comes and the host says, well, you hope you're enjoying. Let's go over to Rick and Carol. Say her name, say her name Carol. And they come over to us and I talk. And the phone rings, one of the phones rings. And it's such a surprise that she actually here said, well, thank you for that call. And we kept going. And before we went back to the other host, the phone rang again. And when they went back to her, the first girl called her Diane. Diane's supposed to send us out to the uh, commercial break or back to the program. The phone rings two more, three more times. And now the floor director is gesturing. They're coming back to us. What? Oh, okay. We were supposed to only be three minutes. They come back to us. We continue on. The phones are ringing. It goes back. The end of the break ends. I finally, Diane sends us, let's go back to the program. We go back to the program. The director comes on the floor. Okay, we're going to move things around. And I said, that wasn't five minutes, was it? That felt a lot. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we go to the second break. The phone, we start, and the phones are ringing. This is supposed to be the seven-minute break. We'll make yeah. it up later. And they're coming faster now. There's only sh- there's shorter and shorter gaps between the breaks, between these three breaks. And the phones are going nuts. And then it ends, and we're back. And I, that felt like 15. How long was that? Don't worry about it. We'll make it up. <laughs> we go... The program ends. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the program. If you're interested in the package, and if you call now and pay, make a gift as a thank you, we'll send you your copy of ADD and Lovey and blah, blah, blah. And we go back and we go forth and the phones are ringing. And I turn around and look and all 30 people are on the phones. And because phones died down suddenly, I thought, oh, everybody's, oh dear. So I said to the co-host, when they went over to Diane, I asked Carol, I said, I guess we're going to lose people. No, no, there's an overflow room. There are operators standing by. So, oh, and then 
the people behind us start hanging up and, and then the, finish their taking the pledge. They hang it up. The phones are ringing again. And then they come back to us maybe the third time. And suddenly, Carol, just before Carol had said to me, I just want you to know how important what you're doing is people don't get it. And I said, oh, thank you, in my cheerful tone. We're on the air. And she suddenly says, I just want to let you know that this is a real disorder and that we almost lost our son. And she starts pouring her heart out. And I get choked up just thinking about it. She was, And I'm standing there and I'm going misty. And she is just speaking from her heart about the damage and the stigma and the ignorance and the cruel, whatever. She just, she didn't talk much about it, but it was all there. She'd been through the grinder with her child and she's going at it. And I look up and past the cameraman, you can see the floor director and the director and all the production people, right? They're all frozen and they're all looking at her because they worked with her for years and nobody knew this. And then the phone stopped ringing. And the reason they stopped ringing is because everybody was calling in to make a pledge is suddenly frozen in their chair going, oh, my God, yeah, listening. And they're all listening. And she pours it out. And at that point, when she finished, we go back to Diane a bit. The phones just went. It was nuts. It went on and on and on. And we wrapped it up. And I thought, OK, I don't know how many minutes we had left. Turned out that this 90 minute break turned into a two hour program the, the 90 minute program so and when i left i wondered what did they bump what's on after us is it the seven tenors or uh, you know the best of lawrence welk but no they were running it again because so many people had joined it halfway through and gone oh my god what is this and called the station and called in and said you got what is this run it again and that was it every station heard about that and it took off after that but that was the power wasn't from some decision it was one person on camera stick sharing their story it was Patrick and Janice McKenna sharing their story in the video. And it was all these people recognizing themselves. And so, so many times I've given talks at Tourette Foundation events, other disorders because of the overlap. And then heard from people the following year when I'm back to talk again. And one year, two women came up after my talk at the Tourette Foundation and said, last year I heard you talk. I realized it wasn't depression. I think it was ADHD. I thought this is what I have. And after 10 years on on antidepressants, I'm now taking an ADHD medication. I'm finishing my degree at age 47. My house is clean. My kids aren't ashamed to bring the grandkids over. They're crying. I'm crying. It's just, it's amazing. So it's, the potential for me is huge around this. That's the other reason I'm doing this. You know, if it, if it was a disorder where take this pill and it will prevent you having these seizures, there's not a lot to do with that, right? Yeah. And if you have something that causes seizures, most people are going to go, yeah, that's probably not being faked or that's not bad parenting. There's something clearly going on there. You're on stage raising the curtain of denial. And what yeah. happens is the people are like, oh my gosh, that's what's behind the curtain. And the biggest part of that, what works, and I stumbled on this a bit on my own and not realizing it, but it is your own vulnerability. You may have heard Brenny Brown talk Uh, her TED Talks about vulnerability. It's willing to get up there and tell appalling stuff about yourself. Patrick Mm -hmm. Magenis shared some amazing stories. He ended up, they had to call the police because he got so upset at a car dealership because the salesman was late and Patrick had left. That was a long story, but hilarious. And Patrick's the most easygoing, sweet guy. And they had to call the cops. And he talks openly about having to use cannabis to get through the day at certain points because he didn't understand what was going on and didn't realize there was probably a better alternative than plant that actually does actually, given all the scientific evidence, actually lower your memory and other things. It calms you, sure, and you yeah. think you can focus better. It's a good temporary measure, but it is yeah. not effective over long term because it actually interferes with that dopamine reception. Yeah. It, it just blocks those receptors and then you can't find the bathroom. 
No, exactly. And there's a video on the site called ADHD and Cannabis. And it's a very, it's a full length program, but it is a popular one because so many people are looking for validation or wondering why it didn't work when they tried it, or they're concerned about a loved one who swears it helps. And, uh, the scientific evidence is there for that. And that's been the fun part is once we had the program done, then we've, since then we've done a program on a full program on anger and emotion, which has been a couple on one on emotional sensitivity and physical sensitivity, which is, I mean, I was six or seven years into this before that even appeared on my radar. And that was the idea that, Oh, loud noises, noisy rooms, crowded places, parties with all kinds of faces. No wonder I hate going to those things. Here's why. And again, now looking and going, ah, that's a bit of the Asperger. My wife pointing out that when I talk, I tend not to look people in the eye. Sometimes. Well, you're doing a good job of it now, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's the contextual thing. I mean, the, the context yeah. of reality and the overload, when a person's really bright like you are, and you have so many things going on at one time, then how do you keep tracking without actually, you know, if you look at a person, then you might start thinking about something else. Whereas if you could stay with the thought line and get that sentence out, you're going to be done with it and you're going to be somewhere further down the road. And I think that's why writing for me, I wasn't a, a writer. I didn't get high marks in English. I didn't get high marks in anything, to be honest, except a few courses that were interesting to me. But I got higher marks in relativity and quantum mechanics than I did in basic electricity and magnetism because it was so boring. It was so <laughs> badly taught. But the guy teaching uh, quantum mechanics and relativity was interesting and funny, and it was a great, you know, much harder course, and I ate, it did way better. On we it share something on that quantum mechanics thing, though. But I want to go back to this thing real quickly and take a break, Rick, because the okay. question you were, we together were going down the direction of coaching, and I think it, it's an important thing to really emphasize, and we're going to take a break here for a minute, and we're going to come back to that question about what is the reason that coaching is so effective Instead of just doing psychotherapy or instead of just doing medication, how does that coaching piece fit into the evolution of a person working on themselves with ADHD? So, folks, we'll be back in just a moment. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhalab.com forward slash core. 
Well, welcome back, folks. Rick Green, it is so much a pleasure talking to you. I just love talking to you. It's, you know, and, and the whole thing Thank is you. you have so many diverse and, and really you pull them together in such a good way and such an effective way. You know, when you really think about what's behind that curtain and how to actually manifest that in a productive way with a human being so that they can develop their own lives. It's just, it's inspirational, really. It's simple as that. That's not a hokey statement. That is what it is. Thank you. And it's, you know, it's a combination of things. It, like some of it is is very kind of high-end, 10,000-foot view strategic thinking, and that's hard to do on your own. And some of it's really simple stuff. I'll hold my phone up so you can see it on your camera, but my phone, the back of it's a Lego. Oh, yeah. it's a, the phone has Lego bubs on Oh, it, it. does. Oh, yeah. Isn't that's that great? great? So, so I rated yeah. my son's grown-up engineer, now mechatronic engineer, go figure. So I stole some of his, his Lego and stuck it all over the back of the phone. It's so easy to spot it across the room. It's a great conversation starter as well. And uh, I bring it out if kids are asking me about ADHD or whatever, I'll, I'll bring that out just as a, something we can both look at and talk about. So some of the stuff's really simple, you know, piling things right against the front door, immediately writing down when I make a booking. I'm going to be doing a podcast with Chuck. Put it on the calendar right away. Go downstairs. Plus, I've got a Fitbit on, so I get an extra set of two flights of stairs and 160 more steps, and I'm in a race against a whole bunch of other people. So competition, right? Yeah. But it's, it's figuring out what works for you, and that means figuring out your ADHD, I think is the biggest thing. And I know people will say, I often hear people saying things like, you know, we have to tell kids they can be anything they want. And Chris Rock in his latest special put it beautifully. He said, no, you can't. You can be good. You can be anything you want if you're pretty good at it and they're hiring. Right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? And I think that's true. Like great I want Because if you can be anything you want, 90% of guys would be rock stars, right? They mm -hmm. just would, because that's what everybody wants to be until they try playing a guitar. And, and I wanted to be a magician and went, yeah, I don't have the, uh, these guys must have 24 inch long fingers and giant hands because I can do some really good magic, but it's not, it's never going to be at the quality of somebody who's got bigger hands. I, you know, I'm never going to play in the NBA and I can't skate and it's a little late to learn how to skate if I want to get into the NHL and play hockey. But I always, what I like about coaching is the coaching ideally then goes, so what is it about being a magician that you love? Then you go, ah, okay, so it's not the magic because it's a lot of hard work and it's hours and days and years of practice. What is it? It's watching people be amazed and enlightened and astonished. Ah, okay. Are there other ways in your life to get that? Sure. Mm -hmm. I could be making a documentary about ADHD that transforms how people view it. Ah, so that's where the coaching helps is to get you to see clearly who you are in a broader sense. I think like, what is it that really matters to you? And that's, you know, if I wish I had a million dollars, what would you do then? Well, I'd retire and just paint. So what really matters to you is painting. Why? Because I, and whatever that reason is, you just keep looking at, you peel back the layer. And why does that matter? Why is that important? And a, a coach, there's a lot of reasons people don't want to try coaching. And I didn't. First of all, it costs money. But then I realized it's much cheaper than going to a, a therapist for an hour. Or not much, but it is less expensive. And it deals with practicalities. And there's, unlike watching, say, any of the videos in our shop, which are full of information by experts and advice and tools and strategies, these are really, they're tailor-made to what is it that you need. You watch the Olympic athletes. They have different pairs skating, for example. They're different heights and different relationships. So what each couple can do depends on 
that ratio of how strong and tall is he, and is she tiny and he's tall, they can do things that an equally that another pair that are the same height can't and so on. So the coach is very personalized in that sense. And we did this whole video and we're offering, put it a 20% discount for all the listeners of this because I think it's so important. But there's, I don't know, probably 12 coaches on this and some doctors as well in this video talking about how coaching works and why it's so powerful for ADHD because it's kind of like having a prefrontal cortex. It's like having somebody act as your executive function and help you stay on track. My coach is huge at helping me prioritize and figure out what is it that needs doing? What's the most important thing? Because I can get drawn into what's the most fun thing and what's the immediate reward thing. You know, I could mm-hmm. write a blog in, in 20 or an hour or two, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when people say it's expensive, I, the answer to that is really simple. So one of the, you want to set goals for the coaching. So if it's going to cost you $500 to get every coached every two weeks for three months, then one of your goals should be that your income goes up by $2,000. So you, you make it worth You include in part of the coaching is I want to increase my income if that's an issue for you, if a coaching is a problem. And my coach is quite flexible. So sometimes some weeks we're doing a full hour and sometimes I'm just sending off an email every other day at the end of the day and he, he's just coming back with sounds good have you considered this and they have you know he has given me some terrific strategies to work with you know one of them was i just felt overwhelmed again and again and he said well why don't you do a theme week just work on video this week then next week blog and it was like ah brilliant or theme months even and that's been really helpful as opposed to scattered all over the place well and i think the thing is you're saying there and i and I, you're saying this i'm just going to say it slightly differently because what happens with psychotherapy being a recovering psychotherapist <laughs> is, is that it does go for the pathology it goes to the negative it goes to what is the problem how could that problem be explained in some other way how could you wrap yourself around and become more invested in that problem as opposed to coaching, which you were saying so explicitly and so articulately, what are your values? What are your strengths? What are your positive aspects that you want to not only grow, but emulate in some productive way? So there is a whole shift in thinking from the pathological to yep. the proactive developmental. And it's cognitive. It's, it's not so much, yes, there's an emotional, as you said a moment ago, emotional there's anger, there's sensitivity, there's vulnerability, there are coming to grips with yourself and whatever you need to do with yourself. There's an emotional aspect to it. Yep. But it's really a cognitive appreciation of your growth as a human being is the issue as opposed to more what are you trying to recover from? Right. And there's a couple of other things I'm a big fan of. We did a, a really wonderful video on mindfulness with uh, Lydia Zalowska and Dr. Mark Burton. And Lydia did some of the early research that showed this actually changes brains. And it's been backed up again and again by studies that it's showing up within an ADHD manageable timeline. Like it's not 10 years of, of practicing. And mindfulness is it's a form of meditation, but you can do it. You and I could be doing it right now as we're talking, just being more present, just noticing and so on. So that works in with coaching for me. And the other is cognitive behavioral therapy, which really was powerful. Knocking my glass here and fidgeting, which is actually a great strategy, by the way. Fidget and doodle. <laughs> Real, they, there's all kinds of evidence that's really helpful. And Sarah Wright and another uh, specialist wrote a book called Fidget to Focus and why it works so well. Cognitive Mindful. behavioral therapy, which is really a tremendous way to separate out that emotion and focus on. So today I was recording some stuff and 
didn't get it done. And I was like, God, this is the second day in a row. And what's wrong with you? And you, you should have been this. And, and it's like, no, this is the first time you've done recording in a year place the studio space wasn't set up there's a whole list of reasons right mm -hmm. you don't have a cameraman you're doing it on your own today so it's going to take long and so on so it's taking it apart and seeing those what they call in cbt cognitive distortions you know something doesn't work out i'm an idiot no that didn't work out you're not an idiot and so many people who have adhd um myself included dismiss any of the successes because all we can see sometimes is what we haven't done that brings me back to that, I haven't done my accounting. I just got fined another $200 by the government for being late with my taxes. And that was $200. It could have gone to my kid's college fund. I'm a bad father. I'm a loser. I'm a, I mean, that's where I would go to. And now it's yeah. like, you're doing 112 things. Handed, and my wife, Ava, has been very good. We're really a, a nice compliment. She's just great. I'm getting us a bookkeeper. I think she... Took several years to find it, but found a wonderful bookkeeper, and I don't have to think about that at all. I don't. I'm not interested. Some people are. Our bookkeeper loves that stuff. She loves it. <laughs> Isn't she, that she, a good thing? <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's people with ADHD. I guess because we're so defensive about it, and we've been so trod upon and self doubt. We can go to the opposite way and go. Well, we're magical and special people. But you know what? Anyone who could sit down and do taxes for me, they're magical in a different uh, totally, way. Totally, totally magical. And, and then it's. Ava's such a wonderful person. I mean, she's really very, very, you know, she, and she's so well organized. She's her follow through and the whole thing. She's just great. But it's not, it's in some ways, because she was an editor. So she edited all the Red Green Show, the series I did, History Bite. She did a lot of those things. I mean, she'd done hundreds and hundreds of programs. But in doing that, she developed routines and it was very similar week after week. What I've been doing, especially around ADHD, has been different every week. And it's, so sometimes she's overwhelmed and I'm able to actually help her and because she will resist, you know, being too organized. And I tend to go the opposite way. I over, sometimes I overcompensate. But yeah, she's amazing. And that's another thing that's helped is, is doing yoga. She's now a certified yoga teacher. So she's got me doing yoga every morning, most mornings. Okay. Yeah. Most mornings, five, usually five, four to five days a week, sometimes seven. Mm -hmm. And that is an amazing way to start the day because it involves mindfulness. It involves checking in with your body, with your heart, with your, and so on. And that's crucial because we're, our mind is not going to slow down and allow us to do that unless we train it to. And the evidence is we can train it. We can train ourselves to do many different things. You know, whether you're Jill, the uh, neuro uh, researcher, uh, Jill Bolt Taylor, who had this stroke and yet managed to come back and retrain herself to walk and talk and do all these things using different parts of her brain that were undamaged. But we're adaptive creatures. And I think it's just so important to have, that's why I like the coach. The coach is just there. Coach isn't more successful than me. The coach doesn't know more about comedy than me or video than me. But a golf coach a hockey coach, a basketball coach, or even a, an executive business coach, they're not better at basketball or any of those other things, but they can see whoever the greatest golfer is now, say it's still Tiger Woods or, you know, in this heyday, Tiger Woods, he had coaches. The greatest vocalists and singers in the world have vocal coaches. And you don't know it, but everybody who sings, and you can look at the, I don't know, Steven Tyler, say from Aerosmith, I can give you, I'd be willing to bet that he has a number of vocal coaches. And the biggest knock I've heard now about Adele, the singer, is that she doesn't have a vocal coach and she's going to ruin her voice in the next five years because of the way she's right. singing. Yeah, oh. this was told to me by a woman who's strongly connected in the music industry. She said everyone just rolls their eyes and goes, 
oh, I wish she'd get some training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got a gift. She's got the passion. She's got the pipes. She has a natural resonance. And this was told to me by an opera singer who then became a actually a life coach. But she said it's a big problem because you've got this instrument. And yeah, you can pick up the guitar or any instrument and eventually learn to play. Why not have, you know, you want to learn to play guitar, you can pick away at it. But if you got to see some video where John Lennon and or whoever is putting their fingers on the guitar, you'd learn faster. And if you had someone showing you C, A minor, F and G, this would save you months. of. Yeah. So that's what the, the thing that the coach for me at my age is, I don't have time to try and figure this out anymore. I'm, because why do I want to figure out something that thousands of other people have figured out? Right? Yeah, yeah. What's the answer? Good, because I want to get to places that no one's been to. You know, I want to get to go to the next level. Where is it that nobody's done? And without bragging, I'd say was making a funny, interesting, entertaining, expert-filled documentary about ADHD. Nobody had done that, right? So I was happy to let the camera people do what they do and the sound people and the makeup people. And here's what I brought to the mix. So we're going to have this link in there because coaching, I think, is a very relevant point for everyone that's listening to this. If they've stayed with us through this conversation, Rick, Coaching is absolutely relevant, and I think it's really cool that you have this coaching program. So let's talk about that as we close and really tighten that piece so that people can get into it. Yeah, so this is a video we made. It features a lot of coaches. It actually has, I think, five of us who are non-coaches. Ava's in it and a few other people, Jimmy, who worked here, and a couple of other of the students. We made this video. It's about coaching. And it's set up as if it's a coaching call between a whole bunch of different people. It's quite funny and it's amusing and so on. And, but it addresses all of the doubts and questions and concerns that anyone has about coaching. Is it valuable? It also really gets into what coaching does and doesn't do. And that's the thing is it's one thing to have a vague idea that you'd have someone helping you, but it's so different from that. It's someone asking, well, what would you do about that? What would work for you? What has worked in the past? It's in some ways, they're drawing the answers out of you that you have, which is so rewarding because somehow you've made it to whatever age you're at, 20, 30, 40, 50, you've made it here. At some point, you managed to get food into your mouth, right? And find a place to sleep. So you've had some successes. And even if you regret all the stuff that didn't work out, maybe you've even learned some things that, about what you do well, what you don't do well. And this, so this video is great. It's a, I think it's close to an hour long. It's got all of these experts. So you're hearing from a wide range of people. They explain how it works, you don't have to go anywhere. Oh, I live in so-and-so. It doesn't matter because there's Skype and there's Zoom and there's phones and there's phone plans and so on and so on. So it's an amazing video. It's fun. So that link is going to be on the show notes, folks. But how do you actually articulate that you got a coupon code, the yeah. word coach, and the link would be where? The link should be in that. See, I'm not the computer okay, guy who good. does it, but it should be there. And if you yep. click on the link, it'll take you there. And when it says coupon code, I think it is in the process of, and the shop is being has been reorganized and so on. So it may take a moment to find it. I like. Don't it. worry about it. I like the tease. Hey, yeah. we got a tease. We're going to get people over to the show notes. Uh, okay, that's the links are. You know, the heck with it. I don't have it right here on the uh, front of it. So it's going to be there on the show notes, folks. And you can go over and see. Um, I'm going to put a picture of Rick up there. And we're going to get the whole thing going and put his, his uh, various activities up there so people can link on them and get the yep. of it. Yeah, and by all means, check out the website. There, Whatever the issues are you're dealing with, there's probably a video in our shop for it, and there's all the free videos. And if you've got people in your life who are 
not believing, people at work who are dismissive, whatever. We have some really powerful videos on that, on dealing with stigma, on facing the world. There's one on disclosure called to tell or not to tell. So some really powerful advice. And what I like about it is, you know, for somebody in a small town who may not have any access to anyone who knows anything about ADHD, you get to hear from Hallowell and Rady and Gina Perra and all of these people, legendary Kate Kelly, all of these people, there's this huge vault of knowledge and wisdom and experience. So it's worth looking at. So I'm going to have an apology. I know what's going on here is when you sent it out, the link was buried and it huh. didn't come across. So the link was not explicit. It's behind the, so, so that's okay. why we're going to, we'll copy it and put it in the show notes, folks. So Great. Rick, thank you so much for coming on board. It's very nice renewing our relationship and our, our chance to talk again. I look forward yeah. to seeing you again in the near future, going to one of the meetings and, and popping in to see you. And, and thank you so much for spending the time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Chuck, for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you. You're just, you've got a keen mind and it's always interesting, always interesting. So well, thank you very much. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Have a good one, Rick. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.